Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. It's always exciting to follow new developments and shifts in psychiatry. For the last half century, the neurotransmitter of primary interest was dopamine. Now we can follow glutamate and its role in the biochemical cascade that is associated with this condition that affects about 1% of our population. Joining us today is Joshua Kantrowitz, an associate professor of psychiatry at Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. He is also with the Schizophrenia Research Group at the Nathan Klein Institute for Psychiatric Research. Thank you, sir, so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. As we often need to remind people, we may speak today of things that sound as if they may be treatments for schizophrenia. Treatments must result from an individualized clinical plan that is between the patient and the doctor. And many of the things that we may touch on today are actually still very much in the research mode. But I must admit there is a real excitement and fascination about those research projects. Okay. Many people, when they think of schizophrenia, as we've indicated just a moment ago, think of a dopamine dysregulation. Now we need to introduce the notion that the causative problem may be, at least in part, a dysregulation of the glutamine system. So let's begin with the definition. What is glutamate and what is the glutaminergic model of schizophrenia? So glutamate is the most common excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. It's active at probably, let's say, about 60% of the synapses in the brain. When I first started getting into this, it was kind of difficult for me to imagine how something that's so diffuse can cause something as specific as schizophrenia. But Glutamate actually works at a number of different subtypes of receptors, and the subtype we're going to focus on today is the NMDA receptor, which is short for N-methyl-D-aspartate, which is basically the chemical that was synthetic chemical that's actually not found in the brain, but it happens cross-react at that receptor and got named after that. NMDA is just the name of this subtype of glutamate receptor. So how does glutamate, if we can do it in a somewhat simplistic manner, that may not be possible, but how does glutamate influence dopamine activity since we tend to think of dopamine as one of the major problem chemicals in schizophrenia? Dopamine is clearly important in schizophrenia. The only drugs we have that are effective in schizophrenia are all effective at this a subtype of the dopamine receptor, the dopamine 2 receptor. Every antipsychotic that's out in the market that's been proven to be effective works by blocking this dopamine 2 receptor. But kind of taking a step back, my work, and would be remiss to not mention my mentor in all this work is Dr. Daniel Javitt, who really was the pioneer of this field going back to the late 80s and early 90s. And so Back then, people started to put together that dopamine is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And if you take a step back, there's a lot of increasing evidence that glutamate is actually upstream of this effect. Kind of the way I like to think about it, and I'm talking from New York, so I'm thinking the Hudson River. Hudson River starts up north of Albany. I think of it as, in the basic way, dopamine is down near New York City at the mouth of the river. There could be a problem down there. You, you fix that problem But the real problem, there's actually a a dam up near Albany, and that's where glutamate is. It's much more upstream. The way the receptors work, if there's a problem in the glutamatergic system and the NMDA receptor, if the NMDA is not working properly, the glutamate's not going to react on the dopamine neuron. And so if it's not activating this dopamine neuron, you're going to have more dopamine out there in the system you seem to be suggesting that the research is moving to the notion that 
we are looking at what causes the dopamine excess to occur, and that may be the, the glutamate system, like you said, going upriver. Yes. People have been looking for intrinsic deficits in dopamine neurons, dopamine-related genetics, and we really haven't found all that much. The field looking at genetic causes of schizophrenia is still very much in flux, and new exciting things are coming out every few years, and a subsequent study shown some contradicts what was shown a couple of years ago, so it's definitely still in flux. But one thing that seems to be consistent is that schizophrenia-related genes are, the one thing that they all have in common is they seem to affect NMDA or glutamate receptors. That's probably a little bit of a broad overstatement, and but for the most part, pretty accurate. Is it possible then that we may have been, oh, I don't want to use the word mistaken because we just use the data that we have, but the real treatment ultimately in terms of medications may be to treat the glutamate problems and not necessarily just blocking the dopamine like we do now? That That's what I would like to think. I mean, truth be told, there's been a number of clinical trials using NMDA active medication, NMDA-based medications, other types of glutamate receptors, you know, they've been they've been mixed at this point. But I'm still a strong believer that down the road we're going to find that glutamatergic-based medications are going to be the mainstay of treatments. So it may actually be like we have the first generation antipsychotics now and the second generation is like antipsychotics now. A third generation of antipsychotics is going to be coming down the road, and it may be glutaminergic-based medications. Yeah. Something else we can talk about, there's actually been some exciting preliminary evidence coming out of some major pharmaceutical companies. I mentioned the major pharmaceutical companies because they're the ones with the money to develop these drugs. And there's actually been a good amount of excitement for glutamate-based medication, including the first positive phase two trial of glutamate-type medication that came out, which is moving into phase three. And phase three is large-scale, worldwide, close to 1,000 patients which will really test this theory in the larger scale that's ever been done before. One of the other things also in reading the information about glutamate is that psychiatry has long recognized that there are positive symptoms and negative symptoms of schizophrenia, and the medications that we have now, they do better on the positive symptoms than the negative symptoms, although they're better than they were years ago. Could you give us a little overview of what a positive symptom is and what a negative symptom is and why these are important and how they're different? Positive symptoms are traditionally thought of as something that's more than you would see in a healthy person, like delusions. It's something extra where people have these fixed false beliefs, for example, that television is communicating with them or even as bizarre as aliens from outer space are communicating with them. That's something extra or hallucinations where you're hearing something that isn't there. A negative symptom or a cognitive dysfunction are things that are taken away from someone that would normally be there. Negative is more a lack of motivation, a lack of interest in social activity. Cognitive dysfunction is, as it sounds, problem thinking and problem solving and with memory. And studies have increasingly shown that not only are the medications that we have not really all that helpful for these negative symptoms and cognitive dysfunction, it's actually this negative symptoms and cognitive dysfunction is probably the real problem with people with schizophrenia. Delusions and hallucinations probably don't help you much in life. But we could treat them reasonably well for most people, you know, at least attenuate them to a certain extent where they don't become serious issues. We can't do much with the negative symptoms and cognitive dysfunction given our current treatment. Does it look as if the glutaminergic drugs, at least conceptually, will address these cognitive and sensory deficits a little bit more aggressively? That's what they look like, definitely in theory and somewhat in practice. 
a meta-analysis, which was kind of a group of all the published studies that have been done thus far in the glutamatergic field. Two of them came out in the past couple of years, and both of them are showing that across studies, certain types of glutamatergic-based drugs are effective on negative symptoms and total symptoms of schizophrenia, you know, moderately effective anyway. Someone who takes a look at the literature could somehow walk away with the notion that if we could add more glycine or more serine to some of the current antipsychotic medications, that that might help. Is there any, any proof to that, any sense of that? Is it safe? Is it not safe? Any work in that, in that line? Yeah, there's actually been a, quite a bit of work. So when people like Dan Javitt first started looking at this for possible treatments 20 years ago, glutamatergic-based treatments, the things that were available were things like glycine and things like D-serine. Also, this other medication, D-cycloserine, which was originally developed for tuberculosis but cross-reacts at NMDA receptor. Those were the, the products that were available, and given that they were available, they were pretty easy to get approval to test in humans because they were generally safe. The thing that they all have in common is they work on glycine receptor on the NMDA receptor. NMDA receptor is very complex. It has probably about six different spots where different types of substances can react on it, some of which cause the receptor to become more active, some of which become less active. And one of those sites is the glycine site. So glycine acts as sort of a, a push on the door which opens up the NMDA receptor. It's not actually the key. So glycine by itself is not going to open up the receptor, but activity at the glycine site on the NMDA receptor is necessary for it having any effect. So there's been a number of trials of adding glycine onto traditional antipsychotics, adding D-serine. D-serine is another chemical which is actually naturally found in the brain, which is active at the glycine site. So both glycine and D-serine act at the same place and theoretically should have similar effects. They've been shown to be preliminary effective. Not cures, but when these substances are added on, at least in these uh, number of small trials, they've shown to be uh, helpful for the symptoms of schizophrenia, acting as adjunctive agents. Is it too simplistic to say that the issue is that there is not enough glutamate that then turns on the NMDA system? We may someday actually look at schizophrenia as a flaw in the NMDA system and receptor? Yeah, I, I think that the majority of the field is looking at schizophrenia as, if not a primary problem, a pretty clear problem in the glutamatergic system. That seems to be the point of convergence for lots of different theories. There's lots of arguments on what specifically is going wrong and how much this reacts with dopamine-type neurons, but the weight of the field and the weight of the evidence is for the glutamatergic system explaining part, at least part of the problem with schizophrenia. That's really not much of a matter of debate anymore. If someone, again, were to pick up some literature and read about glutamate, they would see that it is truly one of the more excitatory hormones in the brain. The question is, is there an overexcitation that causes the schizophrenia to develop? Does it kill cells? Do we know where it comes from? Is there an origin? Because one has to say, wait a minute, if there's not enough glutamate, then the NMDA is not working and the dopamine is not, wrong, is not working correctly or is being excessive. But, but if this is such a excitatory hormone, wouldn't it, it seems backwards, it seems confusing, it seems like we might be able to kill some cells in the process of just exposing ourselves to 
to the glutamate? I, that's a very complex question. I'm sorry if it makes no sense. I can try. No, no, it actually it actually does, which is getting getting at the point why no one's actually trying to develop a glutamate agonist, as it was. So you, it's not like you can just give, even if it would uh, cross the brain, if you gave some anybody more glutamate it would likely cause seizures and all sorts of other serious issues, which making it really not a valid treatment. You kind of got to get at it a couple of steps away, which is why people are looking at the glycine receptor, which activates the NMDA receptor more indirectly. People have also looked at other subtypes of glutamate receptors, for example, the metabotropic glutamate receptors, which uh, are also activated by glutamate. They cause a cascade of second messengers and slower issues. But the end result seems to be for them to decrease the amount of glutamatergic theory. Another theory that's out there, which has a good amount of evidence behind it, that the problem in schizophrenia is not too little glutamate. It's actually a problem of balance between uh, the times of high glutamate activity and low glutamate activity. So the theory goes that uh, acting at this metabotropic glutamate receptors can help balance out the system. We already have a couple of medications that deal with the receptor. The, probably the most commonly, widely known one is Demenda, which is used for dementia. How do we relate glutamate to schizophrenia and dementia? Is there a bridge between the two of them, or are they just two separate entities? I would say they're not separate, and really short answer is there's a, a lot we just don't know. People have actually tried Demenda and schizophrenia, and it wasn't all that promising. My thoughts on why that was is Namenda is actually an NMDA antagonist, so it blocks the glutamate receptors. A weak blocker, but it is a blocker. In my thoughts and the research I'm involved with, we've been focusing on more glutamate receptor agonists, which activate the glutamate receptor and increase the activity at the NMDA receptor. So it would be sort of the opposite effect of what Namenda would be proposed to do. And there also is the drug commonly known as Lamictal, which is a presynaptic NMDA antagonist, if I remember that correctly, yeah. which we use in bipolar disorder, which can very often present when someone is particularly manic with a schizophrenic flavor. Is Lamictal showing any promise? Is it being researched? Uh, it was actually researched a number of trials, the sum of which it wasn't all that helpful on the whole. Okay. So clearly this is a brand new field in so many ways. Well, when I say brand new, it's a couple decades old already, but brand new in so many other ways. And it sounds so very, I don't know, it's just, it's, there's, there's something about it that makes sense. I, I agree. I, and definitely a topic for a longer conversation. This is something we do need to keep a close eye on, and hopefully in the next couple of years, there will be some better treatments to make those who suffer from schizophrenia have less of a burden in their life. Joshua Kantrowicz is an associate professor at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, and he's also associated with the Schizophrenia Research Group at the Nathan Klein Institute for Psychiatric Research in New York. Sir, this has been very interesting. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me.